0: we continue uh, in our worship this morning turning our attention to God's word so i invite you to turn please to 1 peter uh, chapter 1 uh, beginning at verse 22 would you join with me in prayer as we enter this time together heavenly father as we come to this time in our worship and continue that worship by opening your word together and studying it considering it together meditating upon it we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to each of our hearts beginning with me Lord and that those who are present here and all those who are in the hearing of this word we will respond to you, Lord, and that which you ask of us in faith. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. Thank you, Father, that it is possible to live according to your truth, not because of what is in us innately, Lord, but because of who you are and your presence and your spirit within us. And so, Lord, uh, change us like only you can as we come together in this time around your word. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come again to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2 and verse 3. You will recall that from last time that in this section, which is really a unit... Uh, a thought Peter is calling believers to love one another as we saw in verse 22 both with brotherly love uh, and with agape love which is God's kind of love Uh, a type of love that is uh, self-sacrificing that is giving the goal of which uh, seeks the very best for the one who is loved Uh, And we saw that God himself uh, is love, that that's part of his revealed character according to 1 John 4.8 and 4.16, where both times John the Apostle directly declares God is love. We also saw last time that uh, not only is God love, but he communicates this uh, ability to love. This type of love to each of us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So when you look at the... characteristics of self-sacrifice and giving and desiring the best for the one that you are showing love to, you might realize that I don't have that resource in myself. I don't have the ability to love as God does. Paul says in Romans, yes you do. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to love. I've given you that. In fact, Paul goes on to say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love and you will recall that Jesus says one of the characteristics seen among his people those whom he's redeemed those who who are his very own the church that becomes even a testimony to the world is the love that we demonstrate and show uh, towards one another and I had a number of verses last week that I was not able to get to just for the sake of time but, I, but just I wanted to sort of uh, bring to a conclusion one more thought on this concept of loving one another. If you wonder if that characteristic is in your life as God would intend it, uh, here's uh, somewhat of a way to evaluate your walk with God and maybe be even be the basis of prayer that God would uh, develop this within you through the Holy Spirit. As you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the great chapter of love And Paul describes love as this, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And then he says that there were, are three things that will always remain, verse 13. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these... Um, is love. God's love is eternal. So uh, what I need to ask myself uh, in light of the exhortations to love one another not only with brotherly love but with agape love and to do so fervently is are my actions my attitudes and my words truly born from love and displaying love. If you feel that you're lacking in those qualities and seeing that in your life, there's hope. <laughs> and that is just a reminder that we all need spiritual growth. We, we need to allow the Spirit of God to continually transform us. We never arrive at full sanctification in this earthly life. I know that there is a segment of the Christian Church that believes in Christian perfectionism where you're supposed to be at a place in your spiritual state or where you do no longer sin I had a roommate whose father believed that and his son who did not believe that had many conversations with his dad and says well what do you do when you when you do sin he says I don't sin but I make mistakes so redefining terms does not get us out of that, by the way. So Peter continues, uh, back, back to 1 Peter, if you were in 1 Corinthians, please turn back to 1 Peter. Um, he continues on with the exhortations, and it's important, uh, and, I, I, and we looked at this again, and I'm not going to preach last week's message. But you'll notice that in verses 23 through 25, he's talking about the Word of God. And I think that's important to keep in the context of where we're going today. And notice that he says that the Word of God is that which is the seed uh, which is uh, imperishable. God's Word is eternal. It's forever settled in the heavens. It does not change with time or with culture or with governments or anything else. There's a lot of discussion in our day about AI, artificial intelligence. In fact, there was an article that was talking about, some talk about uh, uh, AI writing a new Bible. We don't need a new Bible. We have the Word of God. It's forever settled in the heavens. And Billy Graham was right when he says, there are no new revelations. God is not giving us something beyond what he's already given us. The Bible has a back cover to it. And we don't add to that. In fact, there is even a warning at the end of the book of Revelation that if you take away from these words or add to these words, you face the judgment of God. God's Word is, is living in that it brings an individual who is lost and dead in trespasses and sin to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God in connection with the Spirit of God produces spiritual and eternal life. You are not saved by my testimony. You're not saved by your testimony or your story. You're saved by the word of God being clearly presented and proclaimed and shared in a simple and understandable way where a person realizes they are a sinner before a holy God and need a savior and the only savior that exists is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel simply stated. And the Word of God is enduring, it's abiding, it's, it's, you're never going to get rid of it. Voltaire was a French philosopher who said in a 100 years, this book will be extinct. Well, lo and behold, the Geneva Bible Society bought his home after his death and made it a place where Bibles were being printed and distributed. I think God has a little sense of humor there, by the way. And notice this, that he says that this Word of God it stands forever. It's settled in the heavens. He quotes uh, by way of contrast uh, the, song, the, the writer to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah where he says the, that we are like grass and like flowers that wither and fade, but the word of our God stands forever. We, we make all kinds of promises. Our word has no weight behind it. God's word does. Only God can say, let there be light, and light becomes. There was a little clip that I saw on the internet and I responded to it. And it was a person who was saying that you create, God has given you the ability to create sort of your own reality and you just speak it into existence. We don't have that ability. We only can speak what God has already said and, and believe it in our hearts and He is the one that brings it to pass. And... Uh, Peter says that this is the word, the word of God that we've preached to you in verse 25. This is the Rima, the word, the specific teachings of God's word that we brought to you And the gospel is what we've presented and what you believed and where, where your hope and your foundation stands. And then he continues, in light of that, in light of what God has done in your life, giving you new and everlasting life, you've been born again, you've been given hope, you've been given all these blessings in Jesus Christ. In light of all that, he says in verse two, therefore, that when you see that word in scripture, whether it's in Peter's writings or Paul or other places, you always have to ask yourself, what's it there for? And you read what's prior to that, because there's a connection here. He's saying, therefore, this is written to believing people. This is not an evangelistic passage per se, though God could use any part of his word to bring a person to Christ. He's not limited. But this is, not, this is written to believing people. It's written to you and me who are in Christ here this morning. In the 21st century. Why? Because the word of God doesn't change. It's eternal. It's forever settled in the heavens. It's enduring. It's abiding. And his word doesn't change. And human nature hasn't changed since Peter wrote this, by the way. We, we, we would like to think that we've, we've, we've evolved even though there's a whole teaching that says we're evolved, we're not evolving, we're devolving. Just look at the world around you. Are, 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 we, are we getting better as a human race? Or are we becoming more corrupted, more sinful, more evil, more self-centered? I think you could answer that yourself and come to the right conclusion. But he says here, therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He mentions here uh, five different uh, characteristics that are true of the, the human condition. Now this is not a exhaustive list. He's just giving us a a sample, a place to start. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 talks about the things that come out of the human heart. And he says that's really where corruption comes from. It stems from something that is broken, something that is not right, something that is sinful within us. And I trust that you know as believing people that when you came to Christ and received a new nature and received the Holy Spirit of God, that your old nature didn't just disappear. It just didn't sort of evaporate and fail to to be there. You still have a sinful nature. And, And what Peter is describing in these five characteristics comes out of that sinful nature that all of us have this latent or active within us. Even as believing people, he wouldn't be saying this if it wasn't possible for believers not to live this way if they're not careful. That's why we're exhorted to walk in the newness of life, Romans chapter 6, that Christ has given us. But he says here we're to do something. You see, sanctification, our becoming holy, our becoming like Christ in our conduct and in our character is not one-sided. And what I mean by that is this, we don't just sit back and God makes us holy. Sanctification is a process number 1 in our lives where we part to participate and partner with and yield to the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. A person can come to faith in Jesus Christ and remain a spiritual infant. But see, Peter is going to exhort us as believing people to not stay where we are. And notice that he begins by telling me and telling you what we're to do. We're to rid ourselves. And it's written in the plural, which means this is, this is universal among all believers. This isn't just for... He wasn't pointing out a few people in that, con- that congregation he was writing to that was scattered. He says, rid yourselves. That word, apatithene if you care to know the Greek word it means to put off to lay aside or to take something off and lay it aside or away from you. It is a a term that is used elsewhere in scripture that means to put off your old life your old nature. Uh, a, a, A natural use of this word is seen in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58 where you re- recall that Stephen was about to be stones and it says the witnesses took their cloaks and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. They, they were taking off their outer garments. That's that word rid. That's that word lay aside. They laid aside their robes. They opatiphany their robes. And they put them at Saul's feet. And the picture here is is that of taking off old clothes and putting on new ones. Garments were to be these garments were to be uh, removed laid aside and new garments were to be put on. In fact the Apostle Paul uses this illustration where he says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 12 the night is almost gone, the day is near, let us therefore rid ourselves, put aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with deceitful lusts, and put on the new self, which is being renewed. In fact, let me have you turn there for a moment. Look at Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Look with me at verse 11. Paul says, interestingly, by the way, he's talking about Love, in verses 9 and 10. Even in verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. And then he talks about what that looks like in terms of things we would do and that we would not do. In verses 9 through 10. And he says, This do, understanding the present time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost over, the day is at hand. And do you know that Christ's return is one day sooner than it was yesterday? And every day that we live, it's one day closer to that day that God has appointed where Christ will come back. And Paul is saying, in light of his return, it's time to wake up. It's time to get active. It's time to to be active and engaged in your Christian life and walk. This isn't the time to rest. This isn't the time for a siesta. The eternal rest, the eternal Sabbath that we have in Christ will be there. But that's future. That's when Christ comes back. But for now, we have work to do. We have work to do not only in being a witness for Jesus Christ, we have work to do in letting God sanctify us and working with Him in that process. Because notice what He says here. So let us put aside, there's that word again, apotithymi, the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and in drunkenness. Not in, in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissent and jealousy. Wow, we are seeing these things displayed in our streets and being considered something to be proud of. Lord, have mercy. Notice this, verse 14, he says, rather, clothe, see, put on something new. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. That that verse should, should bring both conviction and encouragement. That there are things in my life that should not be there, that are part of the old man, that I should not be operating in, But praise be to God, through Jesus Christ, we have the capacity and the ability to walk in a newness of life. And it's all found in Christ. It's not Christ plus something else. It's not Christ plus me trying to look at a set of rules. It is coming to Christ and being fully given to Him in every possible way. My thoughts, my desires, my motives lay everything down. Take everything else that do, is not of you, Lord, if need be, that I might just have you. Do you see that here this morning? So Paul says, uh, Peter says, back to First Peter, rid yourselves. Now, what, am, what are we to take off? Well, let's look at this list together with me. Five very common uh, human characteristics. And I think one of the ways that we respond to this is that we say, Lord, help me to see these things in myself, and by the grace of God and by the work of Christ to put them aside. I need, we need, to take off and lay aside the dirty filthy clothes of the old nature and you can't give them to the goodwill because there's nothing good in them. And Peter says these are the these are the five things that I'm pointing out to you that 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 need to be removed by God's work in your life. Rid yourselves, take off and lay aside these things. Number 1 All malice. Now it's kind of interesting that he uses all and every throughout this thing. And the reason he does this is because these things can show up in all kinds of forms and find all kinds of expression in all different ways. And not just in the the lost world outside. These can happen even in our Christian life and walk if we're not careful. He talks about malice. We're to lay aside all malice. What does he mean by that? Well, malice is described as wickedness and um, the desire to do harm to someone. Uh, It is a general word. Uh, it, it has with it the idea of having a vicious disposition, baseness, being evil spirited. I'm sure maybe some of us have probably used the, the expression, "Well, that person's just wicked. That, that's just evil." And 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 where did that where did that evil come from? It didn't come from outside. It came from within. And Peter is saying you need to be discerning and put aside all all wickedness, any evil that is a part uh, of your life. This type of attitude is ill will and is the motivation for harmful actions uh, towards others. Are you in any way, shape, or form Acting with malice towards someone else. You know, the next thing that he mentions is we're to put aside all deceit. This is certainly a characteristic and trait that is present in our world, isn't it? Deceit means guile. It means treachery or crookedness. But in sort of a covert way. In fact, one of the words for this literally in the Greek means it's bait. And you've heard the term bait and switch. You know, you put something out there that looks good, that, 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 that promises something, but then in turn when you, when you actually receive it, it's, it's something totally different. You know, the things that pop up on your ads and you can get, you know... Uh, you know, five beautiful ties for only $4.99, and then you get them in there. You know, they look like they've been through the the ringer, the wrong way through the wash, and they're faded and they're disgusting. I haven't done that, but I know some probably have. In in this word deceit, in this word guile, it means there's a dishonesty. There's a there's a falsehood. It, it hides its true motives. It's it's. It has unworthy motives behind it. We say, oh yeah, I could definitely see that in the world around us, particularly among politicians. After all, which one of them has ever come through on their promises? And we could say, yeah, that's true. But what about in the church? What about in our Christian lives? Are we dishonest? Even when we were singing that one song, we were, we were exhorted, don't sing it if it's truly not from the heart. I can remember in Bible college singing in chapel, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. You can have it all, Lord, down to the last penny. And I can remember the professor of theology saying, do you really mean that? See, if we're not careful, we can, we can be acting with deceit. You know, Ananias and Sapphira are a good example of this. What did they do? They, they sold some property, and they kept back part of the, the sale of the property, the proceeds from that sale, for themselves. There was nothing wrong with that. They were not obligated to sell that property. They weren't obligated to give any of it. But what they did was... They took the money that they did donate and they, they presented it to the apostles and made it appear that it was everything. Peter says to both Ananias and then Sapphira, you're lying not to men but to God. That is deceitful. And did you know at that very moment, both of them, after hearing the, the reality and the truth being presented to them, they both dropped dead. These were believers who were judged immediately for their deceit, their guile. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God that he doesn't act in judgment immediately today? But you see why he did it that back then, by the way, on a side note, was that he was preserving the purity of his church. And he calls us to be a pure church. Notice the third thing that he mentions here, hypocrisy. And it's interesting because the hypocrisy is translated in the singular in this NIV, but it's, it's in the Greek, it's in the plural, hypocrisies. And the, the word itself was a word originally used for actors who wore a mask, who were playing a part, they weren't genuine. We have actors and actresses today, don't we? They, they primarily reside in a place called Hollywood. They play a part. And sometimes I ask myself the question, not in, not in a critical sense and in a an condemning sense, but who are these people really? Because they spend their lives pretending to be people that they're not. So who are they really? And then when you do read their biography or autobiography or learn about their lives, you realize they're pretty messed up. They look good on the screen. Hey, every, every blemish is airbrushed out in every picture you see. But behind the scenes, their lives are a wreck. But you know, Christians can do that. We can put up fronts. We can, we can act playing a part So much so that the world, at times, has looked at the church and says, it's full of hypocrites. They're not real. They're not genuine. Your retort to that should be, well, come and join us. One more won't make a difference, now will it? But that's not the right response. Because, really, hypocrisy should not be among the people of God even even something as simple as when you're having an awful day and your brother or sister in Christ says, "How you doing?" "Great." I'm good. God is good. Why can't we be honest and say, "My day stinks." That's honesty. We're to lay aside hypocrisy of every kind says Peter. Now the next thing he mentions in this list is envy. Envy means to resent others or to hate someone for what they have or what they have achieved. John MacArthur suggests in his commentary that this type of envy that is is within us and in our hearts at times can lead to grudges, to bitterness, hatred, and even conflict in our lives. Do you have envy as a Christian? Can people have envy as Christians? I mentioned this in my Sunday school class. It can even be true of pastors. Oh no, they would never envy, would they? Oh yes they can, and do. How how often can it be true of a pastor that he looks at his, his ministry as oh, this church here is a stepping stone to something bigger and better. Or why can't I have fill in the blank as a pastor? But that's true of any of us. We can look at someone's spiritual giftedness and how God is using them in whatever gifts they might have and say, why do they have that gift and not me? You know, they were doing that in Corinth. They were were comparing one another. And Paul says that should not be You should be looking at yourself and see the gift God has given you and praise God for that and work out that gift in fullness in your midst and in your experience. The last thing he mentions in this list is slander. And this means evil speaking. Speaking against someone. Some have even commented saying that it means a defamation of character oh boy, if we were to take to court every person's character who is defamed in our day, the courts wouldn't be able to handle the cases now, would we? But but how, how also can it be possible in a church that there's backbiting that takes place? When you look at someone else and you say, you know, let me tell you something about so and so. That's backbiting. And and, Paul, and Peter says here to believers, these things should not be true of you and me as followers of Christ. These are things that we're to lay aside. Not to say that they can't be there because they are in your old nature. But you see these things in yourself, you're realizing I'm living out of my old nature and not by the power of God through his Holy Spirit. Because these are inconsistent with what he said earlier about living in love. Can you see love acting in any of these ways? And if you say yes, you better go back and read it again. 1 Corinthians 13. So believers, myself included in this list when I give this exhortation, believers, you and I have an obligation to God in this process of becoming conformed to the image of Christ to lay aside things when we see them we confess them before God we acknowledge them if need be before others if we've acted that way in connection with them and we forsake them we repent and we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and we walk in his spirit and by his power and in the newness of life realizing that we have fallen short, but he is our righteousness. Not just in our standing before him, but in our actions towards others. But how do we do that? How do I lay aside these things and replace that with what is holy? Well, Peter continues this, verse 2. Like newborn babies. Now, he's going to create an analogy for us here. And he says, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. Now, any of you who have had a, a baby, either you're, is in your, yourself or in your family or have taken care of a baby, you know that a newborn baby likes to eat. Does that baby not like to eat? If a baby doesn't eat, we say something is wrong. And, and, you know, sometimes a newborn baby needs to eat every few hours. Because they're, they're, they're craving, they're, they're longing for nourishment so that they can grow. The, 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 the amazing thing about a, a baby from, from birth till, to that first and second year is that the, the, all the things that are growing in that child are exponential. I mean, it's mind-blowing. And they need nourishment. You know, that doesn't end when the child turns five or six. They may go through a, a fussy time with eating, but then they become teenagers. Teenagers. And then they eat out of house and home. And, and they need to eat because they need that nourishment to grow. And then when, once we become adults, we just eat because we like to. <laughs> but Peter is saying here, you're to have the attitude as newborn babes desire, long for, pure spiritual milk. And, and the way that that's understood is that it's the pure spiritual milk of the word. Some translations use that. I don't want to get into the technical, technical things of the Greek with the, the term there, but it means in connection with the context. Remember how I mentioned the Word of God earlier, that it's the Word of God that he's talking about. You need to crave the Word of God. And why do you do that? So that you might grow up in your salvation. One of my favorite preachers, as you know, is Jay Vernon McGee. And uh, when he, in his retirement years, he did the Through the Bible where he, you know, went, goes through the Bible in five years. And, and when he would get to certain passages like this, he says, you know, he says, a lot of times, he says, um, I got tired as a pastor just burping a bunch of spiritual babies. It's time to grow up! And, and don't you wish sometimes... Maybe, maybe, maybe it wouldn't happen because it probably wouldn't be said in a Christ-like attitude, but wouldn't you like to say sometimes to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, oh grow up already. And and that's true for me. Grow up already. You should be beyond this, is what Peter's saying. Don't stay a spiritual baby. There is a place for you like the man whom Jesus healed that was born blind and came to saving faith in Christ where he says, this is all I know. I once was blind, but now I see. That's a starting point. The writer of the Hebrews says, I want to bring you along in your faith. I want to teach you more about the things of God and of Christ, and I can't. i got to go back to giving you pablum and baby food because you can't handle the meat of the word. And so... We need to have this attitude towards the Word of God that we crave it. We crave it. We long for it. But you know, sometimes we read the Word of God and we say, I'm not getting anything out of it. Are you praying about it? Are you rereading it? Are you meditating upon it? Are you asking God to reveal Himself through His Word to you? Or are you just doing the snippet? I'll just have a snack on the word of God because I'm too busy but yet I'll scroll on my phone and I'm saying this about me for an hour looking at nonsense kittens and dogs not the cats so much but dogs <laughs> you know what I'm saying you you know it's nice that we have the technology we do and the media we do and we have all these services that we can subscribe to But the danger is that we can binge watch even good things for hours and hours and hours to the point that it's one or two in the morning and you're exhausted and you can't go to sleep, but I don't have time for the Word of God. And you know why you don't have an appetite for the Word of God? It's because you're filling up on spiritual junk food. And sometimes that spiritual junk food can even be, forgive me, it could even be devotionals. As good as they are, as wonderful as they are, as insightful as they are, why aren't you in the Word? Do you know that A.W. Tozer, a man that the Alliance has put up as a modern-day prophet, you know how he got the insight that he did? He got on his knees with this book and said, Lord, teach me your Word. I want to know you. And let me show you one more example. I know it's a little over time, but I want to show you one example of this. Turn back to the Old Testament book of Exodus. Old Testament book of Exodus. And here, Moses had, had just come down from the mountain and saw the people acting unbecomingly, worshiping a golden calf. And he near, intercedes for them in chapter 32. And he's having this prayer conversation with the Lord in Exodus 33 and verse 12. He says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. That is God's word to Moses that he's repeating back to him. And so he says, verse 13, if you are pleased with me, Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Now think about this. Where Moses was in his experience and in his walk with God. He was in Egypt and saw God miraculously send ten plagues while he spared his own covenant people. He came to the Red Sea where, where the Egyptians were hot on their tail, and God parted the Red Sea, and they went across on dry land. He came out into the wilderness, and the people were thirsty, and he struck a rock, and God gushed water out and provided for them. He would think that Moses knew God. He had just come down from the mountain after 40 days, and he heard God. Speak His Ten Commandments, write them on tablets of stone, and give Him all the instructions about how His people were to live, the tabernacle, and all these things. And you'd think that Moses was mature. He knew it all. He knew more than anybody else. And notice what he prays. Teach me your ways so that I may continue to find favor with you. I want to know you more, God. Does that reflect your heart in your walk with Christ? I listened to a tremendous podcast. It was only a few sessions out of the entire thing by Sinclair Ferguson talking about what it means to be in Christ. And my friends, for as much as I've studied the scriptures and what little I think I know, I was blown away to realize there is so much more in Christ that is for me, because God loves me in Christ, to know Him, that I need to know Him better. And you know what Peter says here as he concludes this? He says, you're to have this desire to know God through His Word to let Him teach you, let Him instruct you, let Him transform you, let Him change you in conjunction with His Word by the work of the Spirit to do that. Why are you doing that? Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, when you and I came to faith in Jesus Christ, we just got a taste of what God has for us. And we realized in salvation that God is good. All the time, God is good. Peter is saying, you know what, believer? You know what, Christians scattered? You know what, Christians under persecution? You know, Christians suffering for the sake of Christ? You know what you should be doing in that context? Seeking to know Him more seeking to follow Him more, seeking to obey Him more, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. And the only way that you discover how you can live that Christian life is by knowing Jesus Christ. And you know what? For all eternity, we're going to be learning and knowing more about Jesus Christ. We'll never come to the end. So, Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk so that you might grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this shared time together in your word. Both in the study of it for me, Lord, and in the delivery of this today, it's been convicting. For I realize, Father, that there's so much in me that needs to be conformed to Christ. And I'm sure, Lord, that it is true for all your people who take your word to heart and have ears to hear. I would pray for myself, Father, and all We're in the hearing of this word to once again come to Christ. To confess our our sins, our, our failures, our shortcomings, our living out of the old nature which comes so naturally to us. To lay aside those things. And we can only do that, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. And even in that, it's a process. And so, Lord, help me, help us to once again come to Christ and to give Him praise that our sins are forgiven by virtue of the cross and His shed blood. You're accepted in the Beloved. But also that Christ is our holiness. He is our sanctification. And how we need Him all the more. So help us, Lord, to follow Christ, to desire Christ, to know Christ. And to do so, Lord, with a hunger and a thirst for your word. In which we find Jesus who can only satisfy. And so, Father, we give ourselves once again to you. Seal this word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.